0: This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. I'm happy to be here. A little bit nervous. When um, GYC asked me to share my testimony, I thought two things. The first was have they heard me speak? I mean, I speak so fast sometimes that my own mother and father need translation to understand me. I'm not kidding. The other thing is, I thought to myself, my life isn't that interesting. I mean, really, can I, have I do I have something to share to um, have you listen to me for the next 40 minutes? And, um, but I said, yes, I'll, I'll think about it. There's always something that, that I can share if you're walking with Christ. And the closer GYC came... Actually, especially when I was already here in the hotel, I thought to myself, this was such a bad idea. Um, there's, um, I'm okay in, in you know, one-to-one, that's it's fine, but there's, there's a lot of you. But Luke 22, verse 32 says, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's Jesus saying, you have no excuses. When you have an opportunity to share, go right ahead. So, um, before I get into my testimony, I'd like to pray with you real quick. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. It's our prayer that in this time that we'll spend together, it wouldn't be me, um, it wouldn't be about my glory, but about yours alone. That your name might be lifted up and that we would leave here being more confident of the power of God. Thank you for hearing us. Is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. I was born into the Adventist home of Jack and Cynthia Ensign. They are two beautiful people, each in their very own way. My introduction to Christianity was through them telling me and reading me Bible stories and seeing them very active in our church. The church I grew up in and still go to was one that would have activities together regularly, you know, picnics in the park, he's doing things together. My parents and their friends um, would visit each other after um, Sabbath, um, uh, sorry, after the church service, so we would have our Sabbath afternoons together. So my idea of Christianity was based on community and knowing that I was part of a bigger family. My parents divorced when I was six, My dad left the home whilst my two younger sisters and I stayed with my mom. I slowly started noticing that um, my mom wasn't as Adventist in her ways as she'd been before. It took another 14 years for her to leave the church, but it's safe to say that I didn't learn the ins and outs of Adventism from her. She would always make sure that us kids would get to church, though. And the members at our local church always loved us, so that church has always been my home. My mom encouraged us to read. Um, I read all the 10 volumes of Mechel's children's Bible by the time I was 10, you know, the blue 10 series set. And with the knowledge I'd gained from the children's Bible and later through the adult Bible, normal Bible, I concluded that I was a pretty good kid. I was working out what Adventism was by looking at the church and the way we did things there, combined with what I had learned by reading. It has been my experience, and maybe you can recognize this, that when we hear of the power of God's redeeming love, um, it's often from those who come from the outside. I mean, a non-believer turns Christian and God delivers them from their sinful habits, and we rejoice, and that's good. However, what we don't often hear are such testimonies by those who are already inside the church. And this, I think, makes it easier for us, or at least it did for me, to believe that if you're already inside, you don't have mistakes. You're already saved, you don't have to be delivered anymore. If we get people on the inside, they don't seem to have things they need to be delivered from. And so it seemed to me that if I was obedient to my teachers, to my parents, if my grades in school were okay, if I made sure that I wasn't mean to anyone, then I was doing all right. I never really got out far into the world At least my body did not. My mind is a different story altogether. At this time, I knew there was a God, a creator of all things, who established the rules that govern nature and us. I knew he wanted me to live right, but at the same time, I stole candy from a store with my cousin when I was around eight years old. I joined my friends as they went shoplifting when I was probably around 11. Um, and I would lie about the reason I was late for school oftentimes just so that I could get out of being punished. I shared that with you to show that I knew what right and wrong was, but I was a little hypocrite believing that it was sort of okay to bend the rules as long as I did not get caught and as long as, as I wasn't hurting anyone. Though I didn't know it back then, I had bought into the Greek philosophy version of God. You know, where God exists but doesn't really have dealings with humanity. When you have this kind of mindset, when you believe that God's somewhere on the cloud um, and he, He doesn't really do anything to reach out to you, then you can't depend on Him to do anything for you. And when you can't depend on God to do anything for you, you're going to have to do it yourself. So I lived life in a way that I could get what I wanted. My concept of God was that of a legislator, somewhere on a cloud, and not a God who is after my heart. God, to me, was a distant entity. I read about him a lot. I could even talk about him with enthusiasm. But besides asking him to bless my food and my sleep, I had little to say to him. This started to change when Pastor Steve Palmer from England took a group of his young people to the Netherlands and um, held a prayer weekend with us. I had no idea what a prayer weekend was or what we do there, but I knew some of the people who were going, so I was excited to go. So they came over um, and the weekend turned out to be quite amazing. The sessions were led out by the young people and they were probably between age 17 and 25. And for the first time in my life, besides just reading the Bible, um, they were teaching me to ask questions so that I would understand what I was reading much more. I was studying the Bible, and um, it was so amazing to see the deeper meaning of, of what God was trying to tell me all along. What was very astounding to me is that the young people were teaching me. I, it's, it's just, it was very inspiring, and it still inspires me today. They were my age. They, they, they were normal young people. I could relate to them. For the first time, I realized you don't have to be an old person or a stuffy person to teach someone about Jesus. If they could do it, then certainly I would be able to do it too. We had many prayer sessions that weekend, but I remember the one we had the last night most vividly. We all got together in a circle. We all contributed to the prayer. thanked God for all he had done for us. Um, We asked him to heal us, to come near to us. And for the first time, God's love not just his rules or his wisdom, but his personal love for me was so real to me that I felt like I could touch it. It was that year that I decided to take my devotional life more personally, more seriously. The year after, about two months before my 17th birthday, I officially gave my life to Jesus and was baptized. I'll tell you here, by the way, it has nothing to do with my testimony per se, I'm about 7 to 10 years older than you think I am. (laughs) I'm 27. Um, So when you hear me talk about my law degree, I'm not a whiz kid. I took long enough to finish university. All right. So I said yes to God based on what I understood of Him back then. I knew I wanted to live with Him, but I wasn't clear on what to leave behind. I stopped lying, uh, and I determined to keep the rest of the commandments also, but after... After, you know, not lying anymore and and trying to be a better person, I wasn't sure what to still ask forgiveness for. I was doing well with keeping the letter of the law, but I was really missing the spirit thereof. I didn't think about being a good steward of my time, of my energy, or my money. That being a Christian was more than refraining uh, from being mean to others, but actively caring about them more than I care about my own interests. And I didn't realize that selfishness shown by not loving my neighbor as myself made me still very much guilty of the same set of commandments. It shows in the next story. I did one year of lurs- nursing before I went into law. And during that year, I met a boy. <clears throat> we were just friends the first two weeks. <laughs> then I started liking him. And he liked me too. But he was an Adventist. I knew we didn't live according to the same principles, so we decided we'd just stay friends. He told me he was agnostic and open to religion, and I thought maybe with time he would get to know Jesus and then we'd get together and live happily ever after, after, after. He didn't. I still got close to him though, and it became harder to be just his friend. Just friends was still the label we used, um, but then I would find myself holding hands in the library while studying with my just friends. It doesn't make sense. Let's pause this story for a little bit and I'm going to see if you're all here and listening. If you ask a Christian, with or without a life partner, who is your number one? Who has your priority? What would they say? Jesus, God, yes, okay, good, you're here. All right, if you don't have a God but you do have a partner, what are you most likely to answer the same question? Your partner? Yeah? Yeah. I think that's true for most people. Okay. So what do you call something that takes the place of God? Right. So, if we believe that the first commandment is that if we love God, we will not have other gods before him, and the second is that we will not make idols either, then I was well on my way to break the second commandment by by making myself his idol, and I was helping him break the first by becoming his idol. And I knew this. But I didn't really take the time to think about it much and because I didn't think about it I didn't it didn't have to change me it was easy to discard it God was gracious besides my um sorry despite my rebellion and his spirit was still pulling on my spirit so one day I'm walking towards my friend's house I'm listening to this song on my meeting this player and um I'm praying like I've been doing all this time and I'm asking God please help me to you know, decide what to do with this. It's so hard. And I like him. And please, Lord, you know, change his heart. And the song I'm listening to is saying words like, I try and sometimes I fail and I need you, Lord. Help me to make better decisions. And I'm still walking and um, praying. And then all of a sudden, it was like I heard Jesus say, Zipporah, you can continue to ask me about this. But you already know my answer. And so we hit home that time. Um, I continued to walk, um, we met, uh, we had a short but good conversation, and we ended our kind of relationship. And here comes the sad part. When I spoke to him a few months after, he told me he was an atheist. That was sad to hear because before he had been open to religion, and now he was not. I don't know how much of that was my doing, if what I showed him of Christianity was just dead unappealing. But I do know that if I have not been so busy trying to please myself and my feelings, that I would have more time to show him the wonderful love of Christ. I know now that my actions and dealings with people, not just my words, show what I believe about the values I claim to adhere to. If my life doesn't show that I believe God's principles are true, why would anyone who doesn't know God would even want to try them? So young people, or maybe not just the young. Be careful in forming attachments. Even if you come out okay, you don't know what you're doing to the other person. Another major event that happened that year concerns my sister Kieran. She'd been sick for a couple of days and missed school because of it. Um, She'd already been to the doctor, they took her blood, they would established that she had some kind of anemia, and we were waiting for the rest of the results. My classes were scheduled to start late that day, so I was home with her. Um, And I think in that semester, I just recently learned that if your blood is bad, you need water, you need to eat healthy food, and you need to move around so that your body can make new, fresh, healthy blood. And my sister was complaining that she had a headache, and so I knew why, because she didn't have enough blood. And she didn't have enough blood, because she wasn't drinking enough water, she wasn't eating the good food, and she wasn't moving, she was just sitting on the couch. And she kept complaining, and I said, poor, I have such a headache, I have such a headache. And I told her, drink something, do something, but she wouldn't do it. But she kept complaining, and finally said, "Okay, you know what? If you're so sick, get some uh, ibuprofen or something, drink it, and then get on with your day. So she finally reluctantly gets up to do as I told her, um, and not long after, she dropped to the floor. She was conscious, but she said her feet could no longer carry her. So I'm panicking, because this is the part they didn't teach me about in in my nursing school. Um, so I did the only thing I knew to do how and I called my mom, because she, she, her voice just, you know, calms all my fears. And she's also a doctor. So she, I called her, she came home, and, and then it, it was time for me to go to class. So I went to class, thinking, Mom is here now, everything will be fine. But then when I got back um, home, one of my aunties was calling me on the house line saying, saying Zipporah, um, get your sister Hadassah from school. Rush to the hospital. Go now, as fast as you can. And I knew that by the way that she was saying that, there was a good chance that I would not find my sister there alive. So I called my sister to come home from school. And um, as I waited for her to come back, I switched on my computer, checked into my emails, and just emailed every church friend I knew inside the Netherlands, outside the Netherlands, if I'd spoken to them last week or three years ago, I emailed them all. Everyone who was at a prayer conference that, three years ago, I emailed them I, and I begged them, please, 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 beg God to save my sister's life. So my sister comes home and, and my auntie, um, uh, Margaret, she um, she meets us at the bus stop and when we go to the hospital. And... As we get into the room where my sister's uh, sister is lying, she um, she looks really pale, which is really freaky when you consider that when she's healthy, her complexion is much darker than mine. She was onto her second bag of blood; she needed the blood transfusion to get um, to gain strength again. And my mom was explaining to us that when she got into the hospital that day, her hemoglobin score was 2.7. In a healthy person, it's between 7 and 10. It's funny. I can hear that there's a lot of uh, medical people in the room. <laughs> in a healthy pe- person, it's between 7 and 10. Um, and When it drops under 5, it's, it's quite serious. But 2.7 is more than dangerous. Um, and that she was alive was, was a miracle in itself. We prayed. God saw it fit to save my sister. My sister is still here today. And God is good. These experiences, what they showed me is that there's nothing that I can't trust God with. I was growing in my relationship with him. And that was a good thing. But my Christian experience only really started to get more interesting when I started to actively share Christ. Probably since my baptism, my urge to share Jesus had been intensifying. My friends knew I was an Adventist, Um, I was trying to walk the Christian walk, but I wasn't trained or even used to explain the reasons for my faith. I was reading my Bible, so encouraging people who already knew the Bible was true was fairly easy, but otherwise, the best I could do was debate Sunday Sunday worshipers on the Sabbath, and truthfully, they never got me anywhere. I remember talking to um, one of my good friends, Andreas, on Skype, and he was telling me that he was doing a little experiment. It was a simple one. He would not watch TV for a week, and then he would see what the effects would be on, on him. He's like a brother to me, and at the time, he was one of my few spiritual friends, so um, anything he did or thought was worth considering. So I thought about it, and I thought, well, maybe I should try... A tv this week myself. So I did. I should tell you, I had been a TV junkie. Honestly, I don't know how I got it through high school. Because I would come home from school around 4 p.m., start watching my soap series, um, which became kind of difficult when they changed the the schedule up. Because my my first would be on the one channel, then the other would be on the other channel, but then with the same time, I would actually go between the two so that I could keep up with both. It was very um, complicated. <clears throat> so then, um, after the series, I would have maybe an hour and a half where I wouldn't have anything to do because you know, you can only watch so much um, inter- interesting things or interesting to me. Um, so I'd have a break of hour and a half, and then I would come right back, watch another soap series, then two drama series, and go to bed around 10 p.m. Then on top of that, my sisters and I would usually um, uh, yeah, Quite often we would, we would rent movies, then we'd have movie marathons. We'd watch the movies over and over and over again. So not watching TV that week was an eye-opener. I had so much time on my hands, I didn't know what to do with myself. I noticed that I actually quite enjoyed not having to deal with all of the information, so I cut it all out for a good while. I came to the conclusion that I could no longer enjoy the type of entertainment that celebrates or promotes or endorses just about everything that Jesus died to save us from when I stopped allowing the TV and Hollywood to dictate the majority of my thoughts I started going closer to my Savior I changed the sources that could have input on my thinking process and it was very liberating focusing in my prayer became easier I mean I just remember trying to pray and Scenes of movies just coming into my head, and it's just hard to focus. Um, I was learning more during my devotional times. I was less needy for a relationship. You know, when you watch Hollywood love stories all the time, and you're not living one yourself, you kind of start wondering what's wrong with you. Or maybe just me. But I learned to be content with my singleness. I was becoming more interested in spiritual things, and I was was, um, hungry for learning more. Discovering audioverse.org was a blessing. <laughs> I would listen to sermons while cleaning my room, cooking, going to university, coming back from university, going shopping all the time. I was that hungry for practical Bible-based messages. Through audioverse, I became more aware of the need for evangelism. Then a powerful, spirit-filled sermon was preached, At a camp meeting I attended in 2007, and it tipped me over. Um, I knew God was moving me to go and get mission training. At that time, I was in the middle of my bachelor's degree in law, um, and I wanted to reach more people in my university classes. I wanted to have an answer when they asked me things. I wanted to have a bigger impact. However, taking out a year um, back then would have been a bit messy, so I decided to go the year after which would allow me, you know, time to save up. God totally paved the way for me because one of the challenges I had is that I needed about 5,000 euros, but I only had two, which means I was missing three. Um, That translates to um, 6,500 US, the 5,000 euros did. You know, that's a lot of money, but I determined in my heart I wouldn't stress about it. If God wanted me to go, then he would have to make it happen. So, I sent in my application, February times. May came, so that's about a month before Arise will start asking you, um, you know, it's time for, for you to, to pay your fees. Um, and I still didn't have the 3,000 euros I was missing. But then, in May, we were at this... Um, so it was like a planning meeting for the conference we would have maybe two to three weeks later. And this young woman who was engaged to one of the guys in the team, as she's driving us home, she, um, she's driving us. She's looking at me in the very few mirror. She goes, hey, Zipporah, do you, um, I hear you want to go to Arise. I'm like, yes, that's correct. So do you have the money for that? I'm like, why would you ask that? But I'm like, no. <coughs> like, okay, well, I think I know some people who can help you out. I'm like, huh? Well, she wasn't kidding. Two weeks later, those people found found me. I didn't go look for them. I was at the conference. They came to look for me. They introduced themselves. And they ended up sponsoring me the remaining 3,000 euros. God showed me that money is not an issue to him. He has plenty of it. And I've God for people who give their money to further the gospel. So I flew over to Michigan in September 2008. Um, when I got to the school, I was almost Im- immediately set straight on what I was coming to learn. I had kind of had this idea that they would push some buttons on me and I would turn into this super evangelizer, you know? <clears throat> yeah, they didn't do that. Instead, they, um, they showed me the importance of my personal relationship with God. That there is no need for me to turn to a female, black, David Asherick or whatever. <laughs> God wants me for me. And that I can be most useful to him when I'm me. Seeing those guys, my teachers, my Parra, Scott Moore, David Asherick, in real life was good for me. It showed me that they were normal people too. And what makes them great and what brings them success is their relationship with Christ and the choices they make because of it. My time at Arise was was splendid. Having having been brought up in the church, I knew we have 28 fundamentals, but it was only when the teachers there pointed out to me that all our doctrines are centered around Christ that I realized that indeed our fundamentals are more than a creed. You know, sometimes we just hear about the 28 fundamentals, people refer to them, but they're not often explained. Um, I started to understand that there is much more that separates us from Sunday worshiping Christian than just the Sabbath or the state of the dead. That as a church, we have more unique views on the world that will become more evident towards the end of time, but are important to have a correct understanding of now. Arise helped me to want to become more inquisitive, to do more research, more thinking. And as a result of it, I became more balanced more genuinely excited Seventh-day Adventist and doing evangelism really makes more sense when you yourself have an intimate relationship with Christ understanding that to Christ um, all souls are of infinite value and then things like door knocking something I absolutely dreaded um, are less of a challenge when you know that you can explain why you're at that door otherwise we had um, outreach probably three or four times a week and so when I came home in the Netherlands I kind of missed it so I went door knocking with my cousin a few times Uh, but then exam time came and I decided you know what I don't really have time to go out Lord I don't it's just gonna take too much time so everyone who comes to my door I will um, witness of you I never had a busier two weeks my phone died twice, had to be picked up twice, they brought it back twice. Then our central heating needed service, so someone came to do that. Then there's a guy that washed show windows, some kid that sold me cards, some charity that came to collect money. Really, people just kept coming. <laughs> and even though sometimes I struggled to bring up the subject of God with them, when i finally find the courage to do so, I had meaningful conversations with each and every one of them. I'm such a complete wuss sometimes. I'll be afraid to bring up Christ when I know it's a perfect time to do so. Sometimes I win the battle with myself and sometimes I lose. But whenever I've won, I've mostly had positive experiences. Like I was trying shoes on in Australia last year, and because I, I wanted new church shoes. And the store clerk she comes to me and says, Okay, so what will you use them for? And I think if I tell her church, she's going to ask me, oh, you go to church and, you know, we're going to have this long conversation. People are listening, it's going to be awkward. And this is all, I'm thinking of this in two seconds, right? Um, and she's still looking at me, so what are they for? I'm like, oh, for church. Um, as soon as we started talking, all my inhibitions disappeared. We had a really good conversation. Turns out that she's interested in, in knowing more about God. Um, and she was really happy with the steps to Christ I, I later delivered to her. Another experience I had recently was on a Sabbath morning. There was a lady standing outside the church doors, um, outside the church yard, actually, and she was staring at the church doors. And I'm usually not on that side of the church, but at this particular day I was, and I saw her staring. And I thought to myself, well, why would she be doing that? So I went outside and asked her if she wanted to come in. She said she did. And I later found out that she walked past the church oftentimes, but she'd been afraid of coming in. She needed someone to pull her in. Today, she comes to Sabbath school and the divine hour. She helps out at church events, and she's one of our more faithful um, members at the prayer meeting. At first, she just sat in church, you know, just listening, but now she's asking questions, reading her Bible. It's really, really encouraging to see her. Evangelism is not just something you do at conferences or once in a while at church. It's part of who we are as followers of Christ. Within Youth for All, which is the youth ministry I represent in the Netherlands, we call it evangeliving. You know? Evangelism and living, because it's a lifestyle. And God will use us as we make ourselves available to Him. Don't wait for all your fears to disappear, because for the record, I hate rejection just as much as the next person. And talking to someone and risking, to th- that, risking that they might think I'm a mad person is not something I enjoy either. But the more um, I walk with Christ, I see the need for evangelism. Um, and once in a while, he allows me to, uh, to see the fruit of, of my labor that I did through him. And it brings joy to my heart. When the life is changed, the person freed from the snares of life. My world gets a bit brighter too. On top of that, evangelism has made me a more pleasant person. Remember the verse I read to you in the beginning? I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Well, that's a direct command from our commander in chief. You have to be an active Christian. To do something to strengthen the church is, is, your, is your task. Because when I start doing evangelism, I'm doing something. When I start doing something, I stop doing nothing. And it's when I started to step out in faith, trusting that God would be with me as I tried my best to do as he asked, that I could see his power at work, which increased my faith in him. Listen to this quote. If you had the... Um week of prayer and with your church, then you've probably already heard this, but I'll tell you again. Nothing to do is the reason of trial among the brethren. For Satan will fill the minds of idlers with his own plans and set them to work. Your unemployed heart and mind afford him a plot to sow the seeds of doubt and skepticism. Those who have nothing to do find time for gossiping, talebearing, backbiting, and mischief-making. Nothing to do brings evil testimony against the brethren and ascension into the church of Christ. Jesus says, he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. So, doing evangelism prevents you from falling into the devil's traps. Doing evangelism will make you not have time to engage in nonsense. It will prevent you from becoming a devil's slave again. And we just heard Jesus say, by the way, if you're not helping me gather, you're effectively working against me. I need to come to a close. I'd like to show you something that illustrates my experience, and maybe you recognize it too. Come with me to Exodus chapter 1. Are you there? In Exodus chapter 1, we see a new king. One that had not known Joseph. And this king fears that the Hebrews will become a serious threat to him. So he decides to oppress and, and enslave them. In verse 9, it says, and he said unto his people, so this is the Pharaoh speaking, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mighty than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it comes to pass that when their falls out any war, they join also our enemies and fight against us. So, the question that comes to my mind is, how do you enslave a people that is mightier and more in numbers than you are? Anyone ever thought about that? Like, they are more, they are mightier. And not only that, these are the people of the Most High God. How do you make them bow down to your commands? Could it be that maybe the new king wasn't the only one who didn't know Joseph or God? That these Israelites, born into the faith, were maybe aware of their history, aware of God's promises for the future, and aware of the doctrines, or at least some of them, but failed to connect them to the living God of heaven and earth. So that the idea of a personal God who was interested in their well-being was just too far from their mind. Could it be that they were merely going through the motions and had an empty religion? So that when the world told them they would have to be slaves to it, they believed it. Instead of putting up the fight, they would have won. Could it be? I was born in this church. That means that I grew up in a somewhat safe environment where there was a wealth of knowledge. But just. Having that doesn't secure my salvation. For a long time, God was impersonal to me. And though intellectually I knew that he loved me, I didn't experience that. And so his love wasn't moving me to live a life according to his plans. But when I finally had my own experience with him, which was greatly enhanced because a group of young people decided to invest time in me, I understood that he is real and he cares. And that he has much to say to me, if only I will listen. When I entered into that relationship with him, I finally started to allow him to burn away the ropes that bind me to this earth. And his freedom moves me to want to share it with others so they can be free also. Like the Israelites in Egypt, I allowed myself to be enslaved by worldly ideas, like the Greek philosophy version of God that won't intervene. And I didn't even realize that until God freed me from it. I now know that God doesn't just care about me, it's not that he's um, just on the cloud somewhere. He cares for me so much that he, from where he was, he came down to this earth and became like me to save me. God sent people on my way to direct me to his word. And they could not make me believe in his word, but as soon as I started studying it, I found him. Because once you start looking for God, you find him. He says, I'm not far from each and every one of you in Acts 17, and he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and the truth will set you free. So concluding now, if you're born into this church, whether by birth or by baptism or both, and you recognize that you've allowed this role to enslave you again, and you are left with a warped view of God, so that you are giving in where you should be putting up a fight. But you're tired of that and you want a life with him, a life lived in his service. Then determine in your heart to make your relationship with Christ a priority. If we're not clo- in close contact with him, we can't really be sure who we're taking our orders from. Please don't allow the world to tell you who you are or what to think. When the people of God know who they are and consequently live out their purpose, they are indeed aligned light into the world but when they don't know who they are, they will slowly but surely be enslaved by the world, by its ideas and its pleasures, and their light is dimmed, and that would be a counter-revolution. We want to let our light shine, right? If it's your desire to make Christ your priority, then decide to have a living relationship with him, one where you look for him daily, and where you make an honest effort to figure out what Seventh-day Adventists believe and why. Is that our collective desire? No? Is it? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This This is a very general appeal. I'm pretty sure we can pretty much all say yes to that. A bit more specific now. We need to be helping each other out. You look at Acts 2, and we see a church that's sharing everything together. They put their personal time, money, energy into each other. They're investing in each other. And if you want to have an X-like revolution, we need to start investing in each other, strengthening each other, as we go out into the world and change it forever. Too often, when we go to church, we talk about a whole lot of things, but we forget to ask or to inquire or to find out how people are doing spiritually. So I guess my next appeal is this. If you understand the importance of strengthening the brethren, if we're ever going to have an ex-like revolution, get your pen, paper, or your phone, your tablet, whatever you want to write this down on, and write down a name or two of people you'll be sharing your devotional experiences with. Think of ways that you can strengthen your fellow brothers and sisters with. If you're in a small group here at GYC that make a pact, that you'll do your best to stay in contact even after GYC so you, you can continue to strengthen each other. Those of you who are not in a small group, think of someone that you can systematically strengthen by sharing your, your faith with. Um, I've been reading the in prayer, uh, Revival and Reformation devotions every day and I enjoy them. I, um, I send them to uh, Uh, my cousin and my my friend um, every day, well not now because my phone won't connect to the internet but usually I send them every day and then when they learn something they send it back to me and then we can talk about it and we're strengthened by it those are easy ways to share and strengthen with the power of God you can choose to be who he's calling you to be there's no reason for you to fail There's no reason for us to settle for a small God when he wants to reveal reveal so much more of himself. I've learned in my life that when I'm serious about God, then I see how serious he is about me. Following Christ is a serious thing. Um, And once we start doing it seriously, We see much opportunities to go and share and do things that matter for eternity. That's what motivates me now, and I pray that that's what will motivate you too. Did you write down your names yet? Did you already write down who you're going to be strengthening and calling? If you did, you can stand up and we'll have a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are to us. A God who cares about who we are. A God who's interested to see how we are doing. Who's willing and able to strengthen us, to care for us. Father, we we recognize that you are the only wise God, that we need you to survive. We need you to have this revolution that we've been talking about. We need you to remind us that every morning we need time with you, that we need to get to know you on a more intimate level, that we need you to go out to our friends and share and and, and encourage them, that we need you for anything we we wish to accomplish in this life. So Father, as we um, go into the next part of the program, We pray that you would help us remember those names that we wrote down just now. Help us to indeed um, try our best to to encourage them like you've been encouraging us, like you've been sending people to encourage us. We thank you for your patience, for your love, for your never-ending mercy. All of this we pray not because we deserve it, but in Jesus' name alone. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.